2: Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast, I'm Michael
0: Saka.
3: I'm Joelle Steiniger.
0: and I'm Matt Goldman.
3: And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue.
0: Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter.
3: In today's episode, we talked with Mark Roberge, Chief Revenue Officer of HubSpot, about really easy ways to turn your company into a content machine and drive more inbound leads. He also dives deep into HubSpot's sales process and the metrics-driven approach that works so well for them, even in the early days. So much good stuff in this interview, guys. You're going to love it.
2: Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here with Mark Roberts, the Chief Revenue Officer at HubSpot. Mark, welcome.
4: Hey, how are you, Michael?
2: Good, good. Um, so for those that may not know, and there may be just a couple out there, um, tell us uh, what HubSpot um, does.
4: Sure, so HubSpot founded the term inbound marketing at MIT about seven years ago. Uh, We had worked on a thesis around how the internet had really changed the way buyers behave and how fewer and fewer of them uh, respond to say telemarketing or advertising or things we call outbound marketing. And more and more of them are empowered to go to Google and do a search or go into Twitter or Facebook or any social media site and ask questions to their peers about problems they're having, things they're researching uh, that ultimately lead to purchases. Um, so we really felt like marketing teams and sales teams need to really rethink and transform the way that they think about marketing. And instead of interrupting people without marketing, they needed to produce content to attract people to them and, and really engage them in an inbound manner. So uh, we really set out with a mission to build all the software necessary for a business of any size to be able to make this transformation and have had a really exciting um, seven years. We um, have crossed the 11,000 customer uh, boundary. Um, we've got about 700 employees. We've raised a hundred million in capital and uh, you know, I've helped a lot of these customers embrace this new approach. Cool, so in those early days, were you guys using
0: inbound to grow HubSpot?
4: Yeah, there were, you know, we get asked a lot, you know, what, what were some of those early things that we did that, that were big wins and, and we think most influential, influential on our success. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of them, um, but the two that stand out are, are really on both the marketing and sales sides on the, on the marketing side, we obviously embraced inbound marketing and content creation from the get go. Um, you know, we started blogging probably about nine months before we even had a product. And, you know, I get that question a lot like, well, when should we start blogging, et cetera? Um, that was a huge move for us uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, we probably built a much better product because we were doing that. You know, we were out there blogging probably two or three times a week, and we were having an active dialogue with people we would ultimately be selling to through the blog. Um, we had a really good feel based on what articles got hot versus not hot and how the comic comments evolved in responding to those comments, and really got an exceptional direct feel for the people that we'd be building the product for. Um, and then, second, you know, the second upside to that strategy was by the time we launched our product, uh, we probably had close to a thousand subscribers to our blog um, because of the, the strong connection between blogging and content and SEO. Uh, we ranked number two in Google for internet marketing software before we even had a product. Um, So you can imagine how amazing of a platform this was for us, you know, even going out into the series a fundraising conversations. I mean, who could say they had those assets and that was a huge driver of the way we differentiated even those in those funding conversations. So that was a big deal to us was to really execute and bet on inbound really early on in our development cycle um, the other half of it on the sales side was, you know, really um, using both technology and data uh, to drive our sales team. You know, I think um, uh, historically, a lot of technology has not been well adopted in sales. Uh, historically, that technology has largely been built for the sales leader, and we put a lot of effort into you know, creating a really um, streamlined process for our salespeople that allows us to scale quickly and also to create a really nice buying experience for our buyers using that technology and really helping our salespeople to engage them in the way they wanted to be engaged. So I would say both, you know, the marketing side and the sales side, those are two big wins that were important for our early success.
0: So on the sales side, are you guys using um, a certain app to do that? Did you
4: build it in-house? Yeah, I mean, initially, we built a lot of that ourselves in-house. You know, we really, you know, this was seven years ago. Since then, the industry's evolved some, but a lot of this stuff didn't exist. Um, so, you know, things like we did, we, we you know, we wanted to make sure that when someone was going through sort of a call and voicemail sequence that most salespeople do against a lead, that our salespeople were very aware of whether or not engagement was happening. Now, unfortunately, most sales teams can only rely on the fact that someone called them back or emailed them back. That's really really the only way they know um, that someone is their stuff is working, right? But there's way more signals than that. I mean, did the email even get opened by the person? Did the person or someone at their company visit their website after you left them that voicemail? Did they start following your CEO on Twitter or mention a keyword that's resonated re- related to your business? These are all signals that we wanted to make sure we equip our sales team with, um, so they know which of the prospects they're trying to engage with are actually, you know, signaling to us that um, uh, that that's working. So we have since commercialized in the last year that technology for our customers and for you know the larger world um, is at getsignals.com, and that's you know a freemium type play where we've got you know fifty thousand downloads of that software now and a bunch of free users trying to kind of replicating this use of, of science and technology that, that we were able to uh, benefit from.
2: So um, on the, the kind of inbound side, uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see uh, people making who are just getting into content creation, driving people to their blog, uh, but maybe dropping the ball somewhere along the way?
4: Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, first, just talking too much about yourself and your product and not appreciating that, at this stage of the sales and marketing process, this is the very top of the funnel, right? This is not typically in the um, vendor assessment stage. Um, it's, it's really in the problem definition stage. Um, so oftentimes, you know, picture yourself kind of running into someone who has no idea what you guys do or anything about your area, uh, you know, that your company's focused on you run into someone like that at a trade show, what are some of the really basic entry level uh, questions that they have? Those are the most beautiful blog articles and you don't have to push your product in there really just educate the market um, with the answers to those questions. So that, that's really the first mistake is just, is, is doing that. The second one is not, um, not doing it frequently or long enough. You know, we often say that the, 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 you know, Inbound's a powerful concept. It's changed so many companies and so many lives for those who've kind of committed to it, but it's sort of like going to the gym, you know, like you can't, you know, the, the year doesn't turn over and it's now 2014 and you set a goal to lose 10 pounds. You don't go to the gym twice in the first week and lose 10 pounds, right? I mean, <laughs> you've got to, you got to go for a good six to eight weeks and hopefully a couple times a week and, and do a good quality workout. And the same holds true with Inbound. It's like you're not going to start a blog and then the next week after writing two articles see all these results. It just doesn't work that way. It takes time for Google and it takes time for the social media communities to kind of get to know you and for you to build up that reputation. But if you keep at it for you know, two or three times a week, just like the gym, and you do a good quality job and write some decent content, and you do it for you know, six to eight weeks, you will see some powerful results and it will start to build on itself. And just like those people who make that sort of life transformation and get addicted to the gym and live a healthier life and quit smoking and eat better and feel good, the same thing happens with your business. Your cost to customer acquisition drops, your lead uh, volume significantly increases, the conversion to customer goes up. I mean, life is good. So that, that, that's that commitment level and that sort of a quality strategy is, is a big piece to it as well.
3: So with uh, HookFeed, the product that Matt and I are working on, um, one of the things that we struggle with is kind of finding not just the time, but the focus of what we should be doing. It's really just the two of us. Um, Matt's the only back-end dev and has to stay focused on product most of the time. So we try and be careful about where we spend our time and attention to get the most out of it. Um what kind of advice would you give to a, a small team like ours that's that's hitting this early growth phase?
4: Sure Joel so as I'd keep my advice kind of in line with the the, the prior conversation there's a, there's a, some good tactics on marketing and there's some good tactics on sales and that seems kind of like where you're at. So, you know, we we know that so we've heard so far that we want to shift to sort of a content mindset. We want to be sort of educational, etc. Now the problem you guys are running into is, is common among many startups, and actually many companies in general, is who has the time for this? Who has the budget for this? So what you want to think about is really just setting up a content production process. And you, know, you guys are heads down um, just trying to build your business. You may not have time to write two to three blog articles a week. Um and you know if you do and I you know we did in the early goings but you know if you do that be fantastic if you don't or maybe you're not a good writer or it just takes you a long time, um take advantage of the amazing journalism skill set that almost every business owner has around them. All right, I mean, an example for you guys would be you know go over to a great school in San Diego that has a great journalism or English program. And just put an ad in their career center for a, a, a co-op or an externship. You know, you, it's not hard to find a, a great journalist who's willing to, you know, come by your office for half a day a week. You know, you don't have to pay them a lot, and sometimes they might even work for credit, right? I mean, to be able to work on a cool company like this on in a cool area like social media and blogging, that, that's the work is really finding that individual. If you want to bet hard, you can actually invest in more of a full-time resource. And I've seen some startups do that. And again, uh, whether, whether good or bad, I mean, journalists are, don't have a lot of options these days. I mean, the magazine and newspaper industry is not doing that well. So the, you know, it's not that hard and not that expensive to find super talented people to do this. Um, so either route that you choose, and I think in your state, you'd probably want to choose more of the intern route. Have that person come by the office, let's say every Friday, and and you guys should rotate Fridays. Like one Friday, you all should sit down for an hour interview, and the next Friday, John can sit down for an hour interview and pick a really pick a really niche subject. You know, a question that comes up a lot um, with your early you know your customers early on in the discussion, and just riff on that con- on that uh, subject for an hour, and let that journalist sit there and take notes and ask follow on questions, etc. That's a long time, an hour, and they should be able to write a good three or four pages, you know, a nice ebook based on that subject. And they should also be able to produce at least two or three short blog articles from the same hour session on the same content and should be able to come up with at least a dozen tweets or Facebook posts or LinkedIn messages. Of quotes or stats or trends that were mentioned in that hour dialogue, and that's a beautiful amount of content right there. And now you can schedule those two or three blog articles over the course of the month. You can schedule those dozen or so tweets over the course of the month. Every single one of those tweets points back to the uh, the, the referring blog article, and at the end of the blog article is a call to action that said, "Hey, did you like this blog article on X Y Z? You might like the ebook that we wrote." on the same subject, click here. And they click there and they find out that the ebook is free and just in exchange for their name, phone number, email and title and company you know, company URL and it's theirs. And that whole process, I mean, that's an hour every other week from you guys as the co-founders and it just creates, I mean that drives your Google ranks, tons of traffic, great social media following, great visitor to lead conversion rate high quality leads for you to start calling it. It really transforms the business. So, you know, to recap, think about a way to create that content production process, lean on very affordable and, and available journalist talent that's in your area. And the second part on the sales side is, you know, really think about transferring this inbound um, sort of message and feeling to your sales process as well. Right? Like, I get 25 cold calls a day. It's the same elevator pitch from this person calling me six times over the course of the month. Every single time, it's it's grueling. And you know, people who are selling, um, you know, strategically today are kind of leveraging the tools out there to know how people, if and how they're actually engaging with you. And and you know, just at the very top of that funnel engage with those folks based on the stuff that they're actually interested in, whether it was comments they were making out in the, so, in the social media, pages that they were visiting on your website, blog articles they were reading, emails they were responding to. That should be the starting point. Every voicemail and every email to them, even if they're not responding, is different. It's a dialogue. I mean, I'll give you a sequence example of what it sounds like from HubSpot. My first voicemail to you would be something like, you know, hey, Joel, this is Mark from HubSpot. I noticed you downloaded our ebook on Facebook marketing. I actually took a look at your Facebook company account and I had two quick tips. I'm going to email them to you. Give me a call if you want to go over it. Right? Two days later, hey, Joel, it's Mark from HubSpot. Good news. I actually found a customer of ours in your industry that had success with Facebook. I'm going to go ahead and send you a little bit of information about what they did to achieve that success. Give me a call if you want to discuss. Right? And I can keep building and building on each one of those messages. And I'll throw out the, another tip, too, is the last voicemail should always be, Hey, Joelle, this is Mark from HubSpot. I've called you a few times. I'm going to go ahead and assume that you've solved your Facebook marketing strategy for the year. If you change your mind in the future, give me a call. That sort of going negative voicemail, for whatever reason, always works really well. But, you know, the point here is um, you can really leverage technology Uh, much more effectively as a salesperson today to engage your buyers in the way they want to be engaged.
0: Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode. I wanted to take a minute to thank Codeship for sponsoring the show. Codeship makes continuous deployment simple and easy, and we've actually been ecstatic customers of theirs for a very long time. If you'd like to see how we use Codeship to deploy our product hook feed, go watch the short video we put together at howtobuildtherocketship.com slash Codeship. Enjoy the rest of the episode.:
3: Yeah, that's actually really fantastic advice. And what I love about um, the content stuff that you were talking about is finding a way to uh, put a process to it, because yeah. that's always the like free-flowing bit of your day or your week that you always think you'll find time for, or when you do force time for it, it's actually at the wrong time and you're taking away from something that should have your focus. Um, so finding a way to put a process to that is really fantastic.
4: Just like going to the gym, you know, those people who are, who are good at it, they make time for it. They plan for that in advance and they kind of know they, there's kind of just in their rhythm and it's got to be the same thing here. The nice thing about this is you can't call up your trainer at the gym and be like, listen, I'm too busy to make it today. Can you just pound out some sets for me? (laughs) It just doesn't work. (laughs) But in this case, (laughs) in this case, you kind of can, I mean, you can't ask a 19 year old journalism student to be a thought leader in your space. Like you can, but you can lean on them a bit for the, for a lot of the writing and, and, and the social media promotion, et cetera. They don't have to be the thought leader. That's you guys, but you can outsource some of this and, and create that process for yourself. So I want to dig into
0: that. It, let's say for hook feed, if we were going to go and get an intern to focus on this, um, what kind of content would they be producing? Cause we're thinking that a lot that would go on the blog would be Stripe specific about how to run your account better with or without Hookfeed, uh, or it would be specific to how to rescue failed charges, anything that like customers of Hookfeed would find valuable. So how would a student without any, say, say, no familiarity with SaaS in general, how would they be
4: able to help produce content? Really, it gets back to like interviewing you guys as the thought leaders, right? I mean, that's what a good journalist do. I mean, a great journalist can meet a PhD student that studied a subject for 10 years that's really complicated and just use their journalistic skill to dig in there and create, like, kind of transcend that, like, brilliant mindset into a beautiful article that the layman person can understand, right? So they don't have to have, like, lived through, like, Stripe and, you know, all the different like financial issues that companies go through just by talking to you, they should be able to, you know, produce a beautiful piece of content. And what's what's nice is like oftentimes when founders actually write stuff, it's actually a little too deep and a little too complicated because they're kind of living in that space all the time. And journalists, a journalist does a better job of kind of bringing it back up to the table for the everyday person. The other point to your question, I think that was John, is, uh, um, you know, you know, you have an opportunity to draw a pretty wide circle around your content subjects that you choose. Like you don't, when you write about Stripe, that's fantastic. It's really close to your, uh, you know, it's really, it's really close to your, um, uh, your, your, your core competency, but um, you know, you don't have to actually, um, you don't, you don't have to actually be, be writing just about that subject, right? Like, you should be thinking about your particular um, space as anything to do with <laughs> finance and payments and transactions in general uh, for a small business or whoever you're going after. Um, you know, they don't. It's just you want to be able to track that target audience. It doesn't always have to be about your value problem. I mean, a good example is we never really did anything in our, a lot in our product with Pinterest, um, but Pinterest got like really hot. A year ago so we started creating content about it what the heck every marketer was just wondering what this, this thing is and could it be used for b2b and we just wrote a bunch of content on it and people loved it and they came to us and they gave us their email and they gave us their phone number and it wasn't that hard to like transcend that conversation over to inbound marketing software even though we didn't do anything with pinterest so you know don't feel like you have to always be writing about something so close to your value prop draw a little bit of a broader cycle, uh, circle around that yeah
0: so I'm assuming that you guys are producing this kind of content and building up a list on your end of the emails, the phone numbers. What what kind of follow-up do you do for those after the fact? You mentioned the few phone calls that you might make and you know, sending over valuable content. Do you follow up beyond that third call or is there a cycle of um, reaching out to people that were into certain content? How are you taking advantage of everything you build up?
4: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot you can peel back there. You know, you want to start with something relatively simple and then you can get more and more complex. And as you scale, that complexity can really drive productivity. You know, I, it's, it's, you know it's, it's getting, now it's leaning into sort of the data and science that we use to scale the sales team. Um, you know, it, I would always ask these questions like, uh, well, I know I need to follow up with a lead as soon as possible. Like there's a lot of data out there. That shows that if you if you call a lead within like 30 seconds versus 10 minutes versus a day, like the your success rate is like exponentially higher. Right. So I know I want to call it right away. But then if I call it and get voicemail, when should I call it again? Like that afternoon or the next day or the next week? And do I try it twice or six times or twelve times before I give up? You know, so I would study all that stuff and And I encourage people to do that, too. As you start to get through cycles, it doesn't take long. If you have one salesperson, they're probably making, you know, thousands of calls a month. So, I mean, it doesn't take that long to accumulate a data set to be able to study. And when you start scaling a two, three, five, and, you know, I scaled these guys up north of 100 uh, quota carrying reps, you know, to be able to optimize... Um, uh, you know, those numbers is, whew, that makes a huge impact on your, on your business. Right. So, um, that's something you're going to want to study over time. I will tell you that most of the, it's, it's going to be a pattern that's going to be unique to your business, but for most sort of tech sales businesses, I've seen people call those leads, um, too infrequently and too few times. I think the optimal times is sort of in that five to six range. And we do vary that, um, what we say on each one of those voicemails, as I mentioned, we also over time, and you probably do this relatively early, is vary your call cadence according to the lead type, right? So, an extreme example here is I mean, if someone like Intuit made it into our funnel, you're not calling that lead four times and giving up. I mean, that's gonna, that has a multi million dollar potential that you're gonna w- work that one six ways to Sunday and you're gonna work it early meaning when they touch your website, that's when you start working it. Versus on the other end of the spectrum, we sell the plumbers and landscapers, right? If a three-person plumber in a random town in Texas ended up in our funnel, we're not going to call that lead 30, 25 times. In fact, we probably won't even call it when it first hits our our website. We probably, when they first give us their email and phone number, we may even nurture that without a salesperson and wait until they actually request a demo before we call them, right? So, you can discriminate your leads a bit based on when you choose to engage with them with a human and how frequently your that that engagement cadence is going to be based on the potential of that lead with you. Does that make sense? Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thanks for coming on, Mark. This has been uh, really awesome. Um, the information is really good that I think anyone can can take back um, into their sales process, their inbound and the sales and apply to their business today. So um, thank you for the really actionable content here.
3: Yeah, I think my to-do list just grew by like five pages, but
4: <laughs> okay. a good thing. <laughs> well, I, can, I can simplify both of them down for you guys and, and the audience is two, two things. Number one, on the marketing side, we have a free app called marketinggrader.com that you put your URL in, and it gives you a five-page report on a lot of the stuff we talked about. So that would be a good entry point for you for many people. And the second point on the sales side is just a reminder on the gets, that free app we have, GetSignals.com, which really kind of sets the stage for your salesperson to be properly equipped to, first off, work more efficiently, and second off, engage with these buyers in the way they want to be engaged. So hopefully that, that's a good summary for today on on what actions people could take after the call.
2: Absolutely. And where can we keep up with you online?
4: <laughs> At Mark Roberge on Twitter is usually a good place. I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. Um, you know, I post all of my personal content there as well as the content that I respect from from people I know in the industry. So engage with me there, and I'm always excited to hear from folks.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much.
3: Thanks, Mark.
4: Thanks,
0: guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocketship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up.
3: And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. Off
2: when I, enter the building. I
1: drink some control, keep it in my poncho.
2: light up like Castro, blow up.